we actually have to move the, to perfect the eviction, to perfect the warrant. We actually have to move the home to another lot. Interesting. So that's why we never want to get to that point. Just that process is going to cost us a couple grand mm-hmm. on top of all the other money we've already spent. So that's why, again, we've never had to do that because we, we'll, we'll just we'll offer the resident, you know, up to a couple grand to get the home back. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Jeff Cook from Cook Properties. Today, we're talking about mobile home park investing in blue states, specifically New York State, because that's what Jeff does. He's done it for a long time. He's very successful at it. We talk about doing large deals, over $100 million deals in New York State in mobile home parks. That's crazy. I didn't know that existed. And now we're learning about the ins and outs of buying big mobile home park properties and uh, portfolios in New York State. We also are going to talk about the details, the nuances of being a mobile home park investor in a blue state. It's, you know, that's just what it is. It's a blue state. It's a, a landlord unfriendly slash tenant friendly state that can make it a little more difficult to operate a property profit profitably and the pricing and the market all reflects that. So we get into that today with Jeff, really interesting stuff. He's been in the business for a long time. Uh, He's been a real estate investor since the late 90s and switched over to mobile home parks in 2008. We talk about that shift, things that he's seen in the market, changes in the market, so many interesting things in this interview. So if you wanna learn more about mobile home park investing, specifically in states that are considered unfriendly to landlords, this is the interview to listen to. Really interesting. Seems like there's a lot of opportunity in that area. We talk about the impact that the pandemic had, the impact that the Great Recession had. So many awesome things in here. If you're new to the show and you're an Apple Podcast user and you haven't done so yet and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And you guys have heard me say this before. This gives me a little warm and fuzzy feeling in my tummy because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what it's all about. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, please take a moment, look the show up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Mobile home parks are a really interesting opportunity. I've never done mobile home park investing myself, but heck, that may change in the future. And today you can arm yourself with knowledge about what it takes to be a successful mobile home park investor in what is considered a landlord unfriendly state. Avoid some pitfalls and make some money. That's what it's all about here. Without any further ado, here we go with Jeff Cook from Cook Properties. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Been a great conversation so far, and uh, you're doing some really impressive things and have done some very impressive things. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do in the mobile home park world? Yeah, so here at um, Cook Properties, we are uh, mobile home park uh, syndicators and, and operators and managers. Uh, right now, we own uh, 40 mobile home parks throughout New York State, uh, consists of, of about 4,000 pads. Uh, we're we're cont- in an acquisition mode and continuing continuing to grow. Awesome. And you mentioned you own them in New York State. Is it just in New York State? Is it elsewhere? 
Right now, we're only in New York State. We are looking to expand um, outside New York State in 2022. Awesome. Awesome. So New York State has a, a reputation of being one of the most uh, tenant-friendly or landlord-unfriendliest un- uh, states in the nation. How does that impact you as a, a mobile home park investor? Because as a as an apartment investor myself, that just has me saying no to New York State. But what about sure. mobile home parks? Sure. No, it's, it's very similar. Um, so we, you know, we, me and my brother, who's our COO, uh, we've been doing real estate in New York for over 20 years. So we're, we're very used to the, the political climate. Um, we're very used to the rules and the regulations. So to be honest with you, for us, it's not, a, it's not really a big deal because um, we are so used to it and it's just part of our daily business. You know, we pay close attention to what's going on in Albany and what might be coming down the pipe um, as far as new rules and regulations. When something new happens, we just, um, you know, we make it, we make whatever adjustments we need to make and, and move forward. Um, but we've, we've been able to navigate, um, navigate that we call it the blue waters of New York state and have been successful. So we'll, we'll continue to do so here in the future. Oh, that's good. Now you have a, as a mobile home park investor, you have an interesting uh, dynamic that, that we don't have in the apartment space that some of your tenants actually own the 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 home but they don't own the pad that it's on how does that impact things like say we had the eviction moratorium that that impacted many apartment and single family investors how does that impact thing you know like your situation when tenants don't have to pay but hey they own the home so it's, it has to change the dynamics in some way right it does um evicting a resident um, who owns their own home is is very difficult time consuming and expensive so what we you know, pre-COVID, during COVID, what we try to do is we always try to avoid going to court. We will do what's called cash for keys. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, we'll get a, we'll we'll entice a resident to sign a home over to us uh, if if there's if they're just not going to pay, and we see it as a hopeless situation. So not only will we forgive their bad debt, um, but we'll also offer them, uh, like I said, cash for the keys. Uh, if if we do have to go to court, which for a resident-owned home. Uh, and actually go through the whole eviction process that can take upwards of, of 90 to 90 days to even longer, 120 days. But we've only had to do that like one or two times in the past uh, 10 or 12 years that we've owned mobile home parks. So we always try to get to a resolution before we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it's a very difficult process in New York State. Again, we always try to avoid going to court. So for our listeners out there who um, aren't familiar with Cash for Keys, can you describe that process for us just so you know everybody's on the same page? Sure. So um, now I'll just give you a little rundown on kind of how we handle collections um, here in, at, our, at our operation. Um, so our rent's always due on the 1st. Um, it's late after the 10th. Uh, in general, around the 15th, if, if we haven't received a payment or any communication, we'll send out our 14-day notices. Um, if, if the 14 date notices are ignored, uh, at that point we, we file for an eviction right around the same time that we're filing for the eviction, uh, before we actually spend some money, we'll, we'll offer the tenant or resident, um, cash for keys. Hey, you guys owe us, you know, $1,500. Uh, we'll forgive that debt. If you, uh, if you turn the keys over to us and sign the home over to us, if that doesn't work, we'll offer them, we'll offer them cash in addition to uh, forgiving their their current past due balance. Uh, we figure that we're gonna spend $1,000 on an eviction that we don't even know what the outcome might, may or may not be because again, we're in New York State and the judges can be fickle. 
we'll offer them another thousand dollars to to get out. For us, that's a good that's a best case scenario. Um, given that if they're not going to pay their rent, that way we we know, again we know what's going to happen. We know they're going to be out, and we can get that get that unit back up on on the rent roll uh, quicker. Yeah, one of the things about uh, mobile homes is that you know they're mobile, but they're not that mobile. I mean, it can cost thousands of dollars to actually move one, and many of them, uh, at least from to my understanding, aren't really that mobile once they've been kind of sitting for a while. They need some prep and things like that, so that kind of disincentivizes folks to to try to leave. But do you have any? Uh, are there any options like? Um, can you put if if it's a tenant owned home? Can you put a lien on it because it's it's on a pad that's not being paid for? Are there any options in there that kind of get more into like lien law rather than eviction law? Or am I just grasping at straws here? No. So, so again, you know, we, at the end of a tenant owned home eviction or res, a resident owned home eviction, we actually have to move the, to perfect the eviction, to perfect the warrant. We actually have to move the home to another lot. Interesting. So that's why we never want to get to that point. Just that process is going to cost us a couple grand. Mm-hmm. on top of all the other money we've already spent. So that's why, again, we've never had to do that because we, we'll, we'll just, we'll offer the resident, you know, up to a couple grand to get the home back. Mm. Yeah. So as far as liens, again, we never, we never get to that point. Mm. So you want to work it out well before you get to uh, get to that point. Plus with- We try the, to. <laughs> good. With the pandemic, I mean, courts were closed for a long time anyway. Correct. So- yep. That really complicated things. It did. And and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't evict for a long time. Um, just recently in New York State. So prior to a couple of weeks ago, if if a resident waved the COVID flag, um, the 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 eviction got uh, got uh, adjourned for a, a certain period of time. So now before then we couldn't before a couple of weeks ago, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't challenge that um COVID flag. Now we can challenge it. Um, so we are getting some more um, leverage to, to do our evictions. So the one thing that changed during COVID with our with our collections protocol is that we were much more flexible in, in accepting um, payment programs or payment plans or partial payments, just because of you know what was going on. Um, but to be honest with you, uh, during during COVID, our collections, uh, like I mentioned earlier, were as good as they've ever been um, with all the stimulus money and, and unemployment that was available to our residents. Um, we had really good collections. We actually, we actually ticked up a couple of points um, from normal. And during a few months, uh, actually several months, we actually had collections that exceeded hundred percent because the residents were either, were either paying ahead or catching up on their, on their past due rent. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Now, one of the things with um, to go back to cash for keys uh, we had concerns uh, earlier in the pandemic that, you know, if word gets out that such and such tenant who hasn't paid anyway has been offered money to leave, if they tell all their neighbors, then that's just going to result in a, like a snowball. How do you handle, say, the finer points of the cash for key strategy so that, say, that doesn't happen or you give them the money and they don't give you the keys and you're still stuck having to try to evict someone. So how do you handle the, you know, finer aspects of that? Sure. So, um, we, we've never had, knock on wood, we've never had a snowball effect like That's that. Good. Um, but I, I do, I do, we do, it is in the back of our mind. Cause like you said, it could certainly could happen. Um, as far as making sure that we get the keys. Um, so we, we make them sign, sign a bill of sale or a lease termination giving us, uh, ownership or and or access back to the house 
So at that point they would, you know, they would be, they'd be trespassing. Mm, okay. Okay. Now in driving around, uh, say that. Plus rural- they wouldn't get their money. They wouldn't get the money either. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep, they, so. want, they want the money. They want the money. Yep. Yep. In driving around in, in the rural parts of the country, uh, I live in Virginia, but I was recently in a relatively rural part of New York state, uh, near where you are. You see a lot of really small mobile home parks. You see some big ones too, but I wonder, you know, there has to be a point at which uh, it's too small to be appealing. Do you have a metric for, for that in your business where you say, ah, it's only such and such number of pads I'm not interested? Or what are your thoughts about that? We do. I mean, we generally like to stay above, you know, 60 or 70 pads for, for a park. We actually, as I mentioned earlier, we're actually buying a large portfolio right now, consists of uh, 2,300 pads in 55 parks. And some of those parks are really small. Some are, you know, five or 10 pads. And those, those uh, on an on a individual basis, we obviously would not buy, but given that they're part of a larger portfolio, and then of course we're going to buy them. But in, in that same breath, most of those parks are within five or 10 minutes or 20 minutes of another park that we own, or that's part of the portfolio. But like, for example, like for us to go outside of New York state, we, we want to go big, you know, we would love to find a, you know, a, a minimum of a hundred or two or 300 pad park. Uh, or a portfolio, uh, just because it's easier to scale that way. But yeah, for the, you know, in general, in New York state, we want to be 50, 60 pads or, or more. Okay. Okay. Now when buying a large portfolio like that, where you say have maybe a, a bell curve of the quantity of pads per park or something like that, you have some small ones. What's your overall, you know, business plan slash exit strategy, especially for those little ones? Do you just say, nah, we're just going to spin those off and and try to sell them off so we can focus on the big stuff where the big, you know, the big fish are, if you will? Or how do you really plan that, that, that strategy to effectively make use of your time? Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, so the larger parks um, that are are agency uh, eligible, we're going to put those with uh, Fannie Mae uh, or Freddie Mac. And uh, the ones that are not Fannie or Freddie eligible, um, we're going to finance those in a different bucket. And those are going to be the smaller, the smaller parks. Our plan with those is um, actually probably do, we're going to probably do a bridge loan, a short-term bridge loan, uh, just to get our arms around those, um, fill some vacancies. And then hopefully uh, a bunch of those parks, we can get into the Fannie, into the Fannie agency uh, debt buckets. Um, but like you said, many of those we most likely will spin off at some point because they're just too small and not worth the effort. Yeah, that that makes sense. I'm, and I'm curious about, you know, that's a big deal you're talking about. It is. It's a big <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. How does a deal like that, you know, come about? And, and you know, I guess that's a pretty general question, but, you know, where do you find it and how do you show a seller that, you know, you're reputable. And I I would also like to know about, you know, negotiating that complicated of a deal because mobile home parks in particular, kind of, from my perspective, they all tend to be fairly unique with their own unique circumstances and potential to add value, things like that. So let's learn about how that type of a deal really works from, you know, soup to nuts. Sure, sure. Um, so this particular deal came from, uh, it was relationship driven. Uh, we had bought a couple parks from the seller recently and, uh, and we, you know, we were interested in the, in the balance of, of what he owned. So just, you know, the, the two parks that we had bought again, previously, it went, it went well and uh, pretty much on schedule. So he was, um, he was confident in our ability to, uh, we haven't closed yet, but he's confident in our ability to close. 
uh, as are we. Um, you know, we find the best deals, not exclusively, but our, our, we find our best deals come from uh, relationships, from knowing, from knowing the seller. Um, you know, everyone in New York State knows, knows who we are. Uh, so if they're going to sell, for the most part, they're going to at least give us a shot um, at, at the properties. Um, same thing, same thing with the brokers, all the brokers know, um, you know, who cook, who cook properties is and how, um, how entrenched and how many pads we have in, in New York state G- given. Yeah, I agree that each park definitely has its own personality. And, um, you know, that's not, that's something that we actually won't like that, like the, the personality we actually won't learn until after we close, once we get to know the residents and, and just get to, you know, know, you know, all the super ins and outs. I mean, we do our due diligence, you know, we check our, our septic systems, we look at water bills, you know, tax bills, uh, just to make sure that we know, you know, exactly exactly what it is that we're buying. We've toured uh, all the parks, all 55 of them. There's four people on our acquisitions team. So at least one of us have been to each of the parks. We're getting great information from, from the seller. Uh, it's definitely, it's a, it's a big one for us to, to take on and handle, but we're, we're about a month in and I, f- I feel real confident that we're going to be able to execute. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. When you actually buy something, you know, that big, you mentioned, I think your, your brother is your COO Correct. Uh, in an operational sense. I mean, that just, it, to me, it seems like a, I don't want to say, I don't want to be, sound too negative here. Almost sounds like a, a management nightmare, a management headache. You got a lot to onboard here. You probably have a lot of people that you need to either hire from the current owner or terminate them and get somebody new. How are you going to handle all of that? Yeah, so we so we're actually looking. So Brian, we're actually looking for another um, another COO um, who's going to be a little more involved. His their, his or her first charge is going to be uh, combining these two companies. Um, Brian is still going to be uh, handling a lot of the operational responsibilities, uh, but we are looking for, we're actually doing a national search for a uh, experienced, not that Brian's not experienced, but, you know, a mobile home park COO um, who has, has experience uh, combining two companies. Um, so that, that's something we're looking for uh, right now that to help us with that process. We just hired, um, hey, we, we can't do it all on our own. You know, for a long time, it was just me and Brian. And, and now, you know, we're up to 50 employees. Uh, we just hired a CFO a few months ago. We hired a director of acquisitions um, a few months ago also. And we're looking to fill some other key uh, key leadership uh, positions like, like the COO um, and a, a director of uh, human resources. So so that person would also help with the, with the transition. Um, yeah, it's a little scary with the whole the whole management nightmare, as you call it. it actually, uh, it woke me up at four o'clock this morning and, uh, <laughs> and got me. I was thinking about I was thinking about it and could not go back to sleep. But we'll handle it in due stride. You know, we are our plan is to bring all the employees over, uh, you know, to our group initially, um, and then of course, you know, we'll we'll uh, you know there may be some people that don't make it or just don't want to come over. Um, but we, we certainly plan on offering everyone a position um, in our company um, to continue continue doing what it is that they do. So that's yeah. good. That's good. And I'm sure the the seller can can weigh in on that. We just sold an apartment complex on my end where, you know, the buyer is going to bring in their own property management company. But really, they still need people at the facility. And we have have a couple of folks that were awesome in the office. And we're, you know, with full force saying hire these ladies. They're Absolutely. Awesome. 
You'd be a fool not to hire them. They know everybody. They're so great. But at the end of the day, he gets he gets to make his own decision. Of course, of course. No, and to your point, so much of the value of what we're buying is in the fact that it's an operating business right now. Yep. So we we need those employees. Um, we want them to we want them to come over. So you've been in this business uh, a, a, a much longer than a lot of folks who are in the mobile home park space right now, and that's because I, from my perspective, there's been a huge increase in interest in mobile home park investing, and within the last few years, yep. and you've been in it uh, a good deal longer than that. I'd like to learn about your perspective as to how that business has changed and then ultimately, you know, the exit strategy, because we're hearing so much, uh, if you're in the space, I think a lot more about say wall street and the banks kind of starting to figure out mobile home parks and get more interest in mobile home parks. Warren Buffett, I think has said some favorable things. So, you know, tell us about the, the changes in the market. And then I'd like to learn about, you know, how do you ultimately exit a couple hundred million dollar mobile home park portfolio? Sure, sure. So, yeah, so when, when I started in mobile home parks back around 2008, 2009, they were all over the place for sale. You could buy you could buy parks at a 10 cap with with upside. Um, you could easily get into the high teens or the low 20s on, on a cap rate um, once once you completed uh, your infill or, or you know raised the rent. So obviously that's that's not even close to now. It's you know much less than half of that. Uh, this particular portfolio that we're buying, we're buying that at a, at a low six cap, which is very standard for um, New York State. Uh, outside New York State, it's actually high. You know, you're seeing a lot of cap rates in the fours and even in the threes. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's crazy times for for mobile home parks. But the reason there's in such demand is because they they have performed um, so well during the not only the Great Recession back in 08, 09, but during but during COVID. Um, and, and we can, you know, we can certainly attest to that. Yeah, the market's certainly changing. There's a lot, there's a ton of equity that's looking to, to be placed in mobile home parks. Um, you know, BlackRock's a big, a big player in, in the mobile home park space. And again, it's, it all attests to the resiliency and the, um, the stability of the cash flow um, that comes from mobile home parks. So regarding the, as you, you know, continue to snowball the portfolio, I, you know, I, I don't mean to uh, presume too much about the future, but one day you're probably going to want to sell this stuff. What's the plan? Is there, you know, a, a, another Jeff Cook out there who uh, in the market who may be a, a relevant buyer, or are you kind of getting the point where maybe a, a Wall Street type of type of buyer would be more interested, like a BlackRock or something like that? Like, where's that line? Yeah. So we, so we're, we're definitely in acquisition mode. Um, you know, as I mentioned about the big portfolio mm -hmm. we're buying, uh, you know, we, we want to get out of uh, New York. We want to get expand outside of New York state. Uh, we want to be after this portfolio buy, we'll be around 6,300 pads. We want to be around 20,000, um, in three years. So we want to, we want to double, double next year and almost double again the following year to uh, get to that 20,000. Um, so we want, you know, we want to keep buying here for the, for the, next 10 years or so. I just turned 50 over the summer. Um, Brian's a little bit, my brother's a little bit younger than me. So again, we want to continue buying. We we're cash flow buyers. Uh, so we don't really have a, uh, a definite plan on exit yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think eventually we will do some type of a, like you said, a, you know, some type of a private equity roll up, uh, a fund roll up, or maybe go into some type of a REIT, but I don't see that happening for the next, you know, a minimum of, of 10 years. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I, yeah. I always, uh, longtime listeners will know I have no respect for the fourth wall. I break the fourth wall on this show all the time. 
And folks should know that it is 6.20 p.m. on a Wednesday and you're talking to me. So it's a, I think it, that demonstrates, you know, the passion that, that yep. you clearly have. Yep. And like I said, I was, I was up at 4 a.m. thinking about, uh, think, <laughs> thinking about mobile home parks. So, yeah, we definitely enjoy it here. It's a challenge, um, but we, uh, we certainly enjoy it. That's awesome, man. You know, you've got investors you have to make money for. So, yeah, exactly. Yep. Nice. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Jeff, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Mobile home parks, for sure. <laughs> is there one in particular that comes oh, to one mind? One in particular. Um, let's see, the best one we ever bought. I've never sold a mobile home park, so I don't have any, I don't, I don't okay. have any exits. Um, but I would say the best one that we bought was in um, Utica, New York. Um, we've refinanced that twice already, and it's we've owned it for about five years, and it's worth about twice what we eh, no about three times what we paid for it. Wow, that's yeah. awesome! That's so awesome. Th- that was a good one. Yep. Nice. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin: the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever? The made? worst investment. Let's see. Actually, my first office building. Mm. Um, after I started off in apartments, uh, back in the late nineties, uh, got up to about hundred units, sold those apartments. And the first thing I bought, um, that was 2008. So things were really tight right before the crash. I bought an office building. Um, it was about 50% vacant and needed a ton of CapEx. Um, I overestimated on how much I could charge for rent, uh, based on, uh, I guess just my inexperience. And I, so I bought it cash, uh, did my, uh, Pulled out about 50% of my value uh, to do the CapEx. Got it all done and, and no one showed up to, to rent it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept I kept lowering the rent. So, you know, I, I had hoped to get about 12 bucks a square foot. And I ended up renting a lot of the space for six or seven. Wow. So I was I was breaking even and a little bit more. But nonetheless, that was still, that was my worst investment. Um, I sold it probably 10 years later. Because, um, you know, start, it was starting to make a little bit of money here and there. 
Um, but I still never got all my money back. So wow, bummer. Yeah. But based on the timeline there, you must have been in your like mid to late twenties, kind of when you kicked it off and started buying apartments, got up to hundred units. If I'm doing the math, yeah, right. I started my I started real estate late twenties. Yep, wow. yep. dedicated. But yeah, I was uh, office was uh, a bad choice for us. <laughs> Probably still remains a bad choice for for many real estate investors. It does. We you know we own our office building right here. Um, and we like it because uh, it's got a lot of space for us if we need to expand. Nice. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, due diligence. Due, due diligence. Um, double check it. Triple check it. Uh, make sure you know, what, know, you know what it is that you're getting into. As a classic example with the office building, um, I should have known that $12 a square foot maybe might have been a bit aggressive. And I could have I could have modeled my... Uh, I could have modeled my um, income and expenses better. So. Yeah, it's extremely aggressive based on empirical data. Totally. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, well, Jeff, yep. thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, best of luck with you know that that awesome future deal you're working on. That's yeah. That's thank fantastic. you very much. I appreciate it. If folks want to track you down, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about you know, future properties, investments you're working on, or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, they can call me on my mobile. It's uh, 585-233-4699. They can also email me at jeffcook at cookpropertiesny.com. And that's uh, J-E-F-F-C-O-O-K. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much because that helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're escaping your, excuse me, you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll catch you here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.